0: Good evening, friends. I'm a rookie, at least in this camp meeting. I, I want you to know I, uh, uh, what a privilege it is to be here. I also want you to know that uh, down south, uh, you folks have a good reputation. I I bring you greetings from Indian Springs. I I see some Indian Springs folks here. Uh, uh, They were with me last week at Indian Springs, and I'm glad they're here, but I'm glad you're here. You know, I I feel right at home. uh, That's exactly what it says at Indian Springs, right above the pulpit. You also need to know that the camps that I go to, the ones that are growing, the ones that are doing well, are holiness camps. And that's, uh, that's important to know. And I'm so proud of you for sticking with it. Uh, it's not always been easy to be holiness people, but God has called us to be holy. And that's what holiness camps are all about. I am honored and privileged to be with you. Thank you for the invitation. I. Uh, I love camp meetings i um there 's nothing like camp meeting and i uh i believe i 'm all excited about this week i 've been praying about it my my wife says she knows something's good's going to happen when I start getting giddy and i 've been giddy about coming here for a long time. I believe god 's going to do something I want to read you a letter it 's a letter for, uh, by the way let me just let me introduce my I have, a, I have one wife and two children, and um, I'm glad I only have one wife and glad I only have two children, but I do have six grandchildren. We live in northeast Georgia, up in almost in South Carolina. Uh, I love to hunt, and I love to fish. I love the outdoors. I love to preach, uh, and I love Jesus. That's probably all you need to know. Here's a letter from a college student. It's not from my boys. I, our boys have never written me a letter, as far as I know. Uh, they, uh, they text me now, but that's, the letters are out. It's a letter from a young college student, a young lady. Here's what it says. Dear Mom and Dad, forgive me for not writing sooner, but my stationery burned up in the dorm fire. My st- but don't worry, my eyesight, which was rarely temp- which w- my eyesight, which was gone, is now temporarily coming back. Also, Bill, a young man, invited me to come and live in his apartment. Since you've always wanted a grandbaby, I wanted to break this news to you too. Signed, your loving daughter. P.S. Please ignore the above practice in English composition. I'm not blind, nor pregnant, nor living with Bill, but I did make a D in chemistry and an F in algebra, and I wanted you to receive this news in the proper perspective. (laughs) Friends, I, I I tell you that to say this, I believe, not because I'm preaching. I believe this could be one of the most important weeks in your life. I believe it could be one of the most important weeks in my life. I, I am so convinced of that. Uh, I, I just believe God wants to do something powerful. Maybe something you've never seen here before. They don't get shook up. Don't get scared. But I believe we serve a powerful God. And he wants to answer some powerful things, some questions you've got. Some miracles can be performed this week. You believe that? I hope you do. I want you to turn with me, please, to the Gospel of Luke, the 22nd chapter. We're going to start reading at verse 39. Luke 22, beginning with verse 39. If you're able, if you'll stand with me, please, out of reverence for the Word of God. Luke 22, verse 39. Jesus went out, as usual, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to, said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them and knelt down and prayed. Father, if you're willing to take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed most earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation, the grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of our God stands forever. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. I love camp meeting. I love my camp meeting. But I like all camp meetings. I like holiness camp meetings more than any other kind of camp meeting. My uh, we've been going to Indian Springs now. we bought a cottage there about uh, eleven years ago. Uh, It's an unusual cottage. I'll explain that to you one day, maybe. Uh, My granddaughter, who at the time was 12 years old, she's 16 right now, studying in Oxford in England this week. When she was 12 years old, she came up to me and says, Papa, I love Camp Meeting better than Disney World, which she has been to several times. I love camp meeting. I was um, talking to our president in Indian Springs a couple, of, a couple of years ago, two years ago exactly. I was getting ready to preach there that year. I'd been preaching there three or four times, and, and I was going to preach, and I, I, I asked him, I said, Steve, I, I need to talk to you. I, I want you to tell me what are the greatest needs of Indian Springs. And he started listing them, paving, a new sewer system, Air conditioning, well, that's another story you'll have to hear about another time. The hotel and the motel need refurbishing. The RV park needs additional housing. We need more volunteers. And he went on and on and on. So I heard Steve get up this year and say, We've got a major problem. We are losing 3,000 gallons of water an hour, and nobody knows where it's going. 3,000 gallons of water going through our meter at five cents a gallon you figure that out it's not coming to the ground it must be going in the sewer system somewhere all week long we never found where it was going but we were being charged for it so that was another major need and as I heard him and as I listened to him and he's a great man a spiritual man God seemed to work on my heart in a special way. Now I need to share with you tonight's sermon is going to be totally different than anything you've ever heard. The invitation will be different because there won't be an invitation tonight. And that's not me. I always give an invitation. It probably will be the shortest sermon you ever, will ever hear me preach. It's going to be different tonight. Two years ago, before I preached at Indian Springs, where I had preached many times, I was in, I was in anguish. My soul was in anguish. I, 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 I was troubled. I love that camp. Great things happened there. But I kept hearing God say, I want something even greater. I want something so powerful the world will look at it and know what's going on. And I need to tell you that God broke me. One of the prayers that I do not like to pray is, God, please break me. I don't like to be broken. I didn't ask for it. God broke me in such a way as I've never been broken before. And what God was telling me, I believe, with all my heart is that, Tom, you don't know how to pray. You really don't know how to pray because you're not doing it right. Folks, I've been preaching... For 47 years and I'm learning more about prayer in the last two years than I've ever learned before you see I'm kind of slow to learn my mentor Dr. Dennis Kenlaw, told me one time he said the reason he believes that God let him live so long is because he's so slow to learn I thought to myself I'm going to live to be 150 then because I am so slow to learn, but I'm learning. I'm learning more than I've ever learned before, but I'm, but I'm still in anguish. I'm hurting. Please forgive me if, 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 if this is not correct, but as much as I love camp meeting, I think we're missing it. Now, now I've never been here before. I don't, I don't know you. But my burden that i got to share tonight is that I believe that we're missing it because I don't think we're praying like God wants us to pray. I don't think we're praying deep enough as God wants us to pray. And, and again, I know, I know this is a great camp, and I know this is probably not the best way to start. <laughs> and I know you have great prayer warriors here. Indian Springs has powerful prayer warriors but I started thinking back, Indian Springs has a prayer day. People come down to pray, and I've been going to the prayer days, and we're lucky if we have 35 or 40. to prayer day. The women have prayer all through the week at Indian Springs, and not many come. And I'm wondering... What are we doing wrong? Because I believe that God wants us to pray like we've never prayed before. I think we've almost, and I speak for myself, I had become extremely comfortable praying. Does that make sense? I was comfortable praying. You see, I don't believe that we will have a move of the Spirit like I've been praying for unless psych people pray this week as we've never prayed before. And so, my message tonight is a challenge to you to pray like you've never prayed before. You see, I'm saying this because life is short. I've already lived at least three quarters of my life, maybe a lot more than that. Time is short. I, I, I don't have time to piddle around, I'm ready for something serious. I'm ready to see God do some things I've never seen before. I want to see miracles I've never seen before. I want to see people's lives changed. I want to see people become holy as God calls us to be holy. It's never before. Hear me, hear me very clearly. I don't care how good the evangelists are this week. I don't care how good the Bible teacher is week this week, how good the musician is this week. If we don't pray, really pray, nothing significant or lasting will take place. John Wesley said, God does nothing but an answer to prayer. And I believe that with all my heart. And I'm learning more about it. Let me share with you a little bit about why I'm saying this. I was a pastor for 23 years in North Georgia. And then 24 years ago, I finally, after 10 years of fighting it, received the call or believed the call to be an evangelist full-time. I've preached from California and Oregon, Washington State, to Michigan, New Jersey, to Florida, all over the United States, especially up and down the eastern seaboard. And I can remember, as I started thinking about it, when God was really working on me, I can remember three revivals out of all those hundreds of revivals, camp meetings. I can remember three that stand out that were, were were more significant than the others, where we saw a move of God, a the move of the Spirit that was so different than others. Let me share some of them with you. The first one is Alito United Methodist Church in Alito, Illinois young man called me up one day and asked me if I'd come preach a revival for him. I didn't know who he was. He said he'd heard me at a workshop somewhere, I think at a Congress on Evangelism or something, and asked me if I'd come. He said, Tom, if you come, we will do, we will prepare, we will do whatever you tell us to do. I said, would you repeat that? I said, I don't think I've ever had a pastor tell me they would do everything I told them to do. He said, I promise you, we will do everything, everything that you want us to do. And so I said, okay, have you got a piece of paper and a pencil? He said, just a minute. And he got a piece of paper and a pencil. I said, write this down. Number one, three things. Number one, pray. Number two, <laughs> pray. Number three, pray. He said, what else? I said, that's it. Pray like you've never prayed before. Well, I was about, uh, that was about two months before I came, and I landed at the airport, and the pastor picked me up, and we were driving up to Alito and I I said, well, how's it going? He said, great. I said, you've been praying? He said, we've really been praying. I said, tell me about it. He said, well, we've been praying at 6 a.m., 10 a.m., 2 p.m., and 4 p.m. every day for the last month, and we've got a 24-hour prayer vigil. By the way, I was just at his church again, a different church, about a month ago, they had a 21-hour prayer vigil. He slept in the church for 24 hours praying. I said, you've been all, that, all those times praying? How many people show up? Well, sometimes a lot, sometimes not many, but we've had it four times a day. And he said, we're still going to do that this week during the revival. I said, okay. He said, you're going to be there, aren't you? I said, yes, I will. Folks, it took me two weeks to recover. Six o'clock in the morning, all the way through, just praying and praying and praying. They walked around town and prayed. They anointed every tree, I think, in town. They anointed every pew. They anointed the pulpit. They anointed everything that didn't move and some things that did move. They prayed and they anointed. And they believed God was going to do something great in that church. Let me tell you about a couple of things that happened. (laughs) There was a move of the Spirit. And when I say a move of the Spirit, I'm not talking about weird things. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit of a Holy God just invading the place, and it happened there. It really happened there. I was preaching one night, gave an invitation. A lot of people came forward. Every night the crowds grew, and every night people kept coming. A lady came and, and asked me to come pray with her, and I did. She said that she was getting ready to. Uh, she and her husband were getting ready to sign divorce papers at 10 o'clock the next morning. And we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed. And all of a sudden, somebody came and knelt beside her, and it was her husband. God restored that marriage immediately, just like that. Saw it happen. Still married. Love each other. There's another. Thank you, God. Yeah, there there was another. Can I get out on this thing? Will this thing collapse if I get out here? Just don't fall, yeah. There was a man in that church, a very large man in a large wheelchair, a motorized wheelchair. He, uh, the pastor, had told me about him. He, um, I guess, it, I guess every church has a somebody with a thorn in the flesh, and that was the thorn in the flesh for this pastor. This man talked about the pastor all over town, gossiped about him, told bad stories about him, just blinded him in every way he possibly could, hated him, just, just. Just was a, was a menace to the pastor. The church had, had some funds in an endowment. And the pastor was trying, and it was a their Sunday school building. was a three-story building. And there were steps going up to the sanctuary. There was a wheelchair ramp. But this man had an electric wheelchair, one of those electric wheelchairs that, you know, you see. And the pastor was trying to ch- get the church to free up some of the money to put an elevator in the church. This is hard to believe. A man in a wheelchair voted against and talked against the pastor for wanting to put an elevator in a chair in the church, and he's in a wheelchair. That's how much he hated the pastor. I mean, it was just, it was terrible. One night I gave the invitation, there was a center aisle, and I looked up, and here he came. You could hear the wheelchair bzz, just coming down the aisle. And I, I knew he couldn't get to the altar, and so I so I, I ran around. I was just about to get to him, and he screamed, No, 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 no. And I stopped. He said, Not you. I want my pastor. I need my pastor. He was bawling. The pastor came crying over there. They lunged into each other's arms and just laying there, just crying and praying, and said, Forgive me, please forgive me. I've hurt you so bad. God changed his heart that night. Incredible. Just incredible. I called the pastor a month later. I said, how's our friend in the wheelchair? He said, Tom, you won't believe it. He just won't believe it. He is, I've never seen anybody that changed so much. He can't do enough for me. He comes to the church almost every day and says, what can I do for you now today, pastor? What can I do for the church it was a powerful revival. Was it different than other revivals I preached? Yes. I, I see things happen in every revival, but I saw just tens and t- just tons of things happening at that church. Do I preach a different sermon? No. What was different? The people prayed, friends. They really got serious about praying. The second church is a church called Sam Jones United Methodist Church. Anybody ever heard of Sam Jones before? You should have. Sam Jones was the Billy Graham of the Methodist Church back in the early 1800s, or the late 1800s, excuse me, late 1800s, closer to 1900. Uh, Just a a powerful preacher. He was a a drunkard and got converted uh, from Cartersville, Georgia. And um, that church is named in memory of Sam Jones. Now, I don't know what happened between Sam Jones and where the church was when I heard about it. Sam Jones is the largest Methodist church in that area, a large church. A friend of mine was pastoring it. Sam Jones had a reputation of being one of the most liberal churches in the North Georgia Annual Conference. A friend of mine went there who loves Jesus. Kevin called me up one day and said, Tom, I want you to come preach a revival at Sam Jones. I said, what? Kevin, are you crazy? No, Tom, we want to have a revival at Sam Jones. I said, Kevin, I know about Sam Jones. They won't have a revival. He said, Tom, I'm the pastor. They will have a revival. I said, okay. And uh, same thing. I said, Kevin, are you going to pray? He said, yes, I'll pray. I know what you want. We'll pray. We'll pray hard. I promise you we'll pray. Kevin had some kind of ability of getting pastors of other denominations to pray for his revival. People all over the town, the Baptists, the Pentecostals. All of them, church, they were all praying for the survival. When I arrived, folks, well, let me tell you, let me back up a little bit. That year, that summer before I was to preach there in the fall, I, uh, I went up to uh, the former chairman of the board of trustees at Indian Springs, and I went up to him. I said, Fred, uh, who lives in Cardinalsville, by the way, His whole family lives in Cartersville. There's a lot of Asbury folks in Cartersville. None of them go to Sam Jones. It's too liberal. They wouldn't go there. So I went up to Fred. I said, "Fred, guess what? Sam Jones is going to have a revival." He said, "You are lying." I said, "I'm not lying. I'm telling you the truth." He said, "I don't believe that." He said, "I said it's going to happen. They're going to have a revival. And here's something better. I'm going to preach it." He said, "Now I know you're lying." They would never have you come do a revival, and It's just not going to happen. I said, Fred, it's going to happen. He said, if it happens, I'll be on the front row. I want to see it. Well, it happened. I went to Sam Jones. <laughs> Huge crowd Sunday morning. I said, well, they won't come back Sunday night. Nobody that bigger. It was bigger Sunday night than it was Sunday morning. It was bigger Monday than it was Sunday. It was bigger Tuesday. All week it started growing, growing. One time the pastor pointed out to me five different pastors from five different denominations. People from all over the area were coming. Things were happening. God was doing miracles. It was just a powerful thing. One night I I was introduced to a Pentecostal pastor. He'd been there the last two nights. I said, I'm so glad you're here. I appreciate you being here. I hope you're gonna be here tomorrow night. I'm gonna preach on the Holy Spirit. He said, oh, no, 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 no. Don't do it tomorrow night. I said, I "Got to. I've already announced it. He said, i got a meeting tomorrow night, and I'm in charge of the meeting. I can't come. I said, I understand that. No problem. So he starts walking out. He gets all the way to the door. He turns around and comes back, and he said, I'll be here tomorrow night. I'm canceling the meeting. <laughs> was there something different? Yeah, what was different is the people prayed and prayed and prayed. Pastors prayed, other churches prayed. With all that prayer, it didn't matter what I said. God showed up in a big time. Now, let, let me say this. I, I, st- I started, when God got a hold of me two years ago, I was getting ready to preach at Indian Springs. And so I, I did, I was up the first night there too. And I shared with them kind of what I'm sharing with you. And I said, of all places of preaching about prayer, Indian Springs does not need to be the place. But God said, yeah, it does. And so I said, okay. And I preached. And I challenged the people. And they prayed all week. Hard. All week. An 81-year-old retired pastor came up to me who had been at Indian Springs all his life. Came up to me and said, Tom, it's the best Indian Springs I've ever been to. Now, I don't know how true that was, but he thought it was. And some great things did happen, not because of my preaching, but because God was there. Now, what I'm talking about, friends, and I know, again, you folks pray and I appreciate that. But I'm talking about a deeper kind of praying. I'm talking about a different level of praying, the kind of prayer that Jesus did on the Mount of Olives. He went alone. You know the story. I read it to you tonight. He was in such agony of spirit, Scripture says, that great drops, his sweat was like great drops of blood to the ground. And so when I read that the first time when I was getting ready to preach, I I asked myself, does that describe my praying? Am I in such agony of spirit of the Lord? And if Jesus had to pray that way, do I not have to pray that way? You see, in John's gospel, in the 16th chapter, there's a passage of scripture there that the 21st verse says this. This is what King James says. A woman, when she is travail, hath sorrow. Because her hour is come, but soon she will be delivered of the child, she remembereth the anguish no more. And so I picked up that word travail, and I said, that's what I'm looking for. That's the kind of praying, travail. I looked up travail in the dictionary, see what it says, three definitions. Work, especially when arduous or involving painful effort. Number two, tribulation or agony. And here's number three, listen, the labor of childbirth. Folks, I understand travail. I sat beside my dear wife when our first son was born. That was a long time ago. That was before uh, natural childbirth was heard of, and she was going to do natural childbirth without any anesthesia at all. I still have the marks on my arm. I have the pain like she had the pain, I think. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I've gone, I'm going to go. And the only reason I'm going is because the Holy Spirit can't come if I stay. And you're going to travail. And what I'm asking you to do tonight is to travail. To go so deep, so deep. I think God is calling us to do that. It's hard work. For some of you, prayer may be easy. I envy you. It's not easy for me. It's hard. It's work. Oswald Chambers said this. Prayer is not preparation for work. It is work. Prayer is not preparation for the battle. It is the battle. You remember Jacob? wrestling all night with the angel. I will not let you go until you bless me. What if, what if, we, had, what if we had folks here this week who are saying, God, we're not going to let you go. We're going to hang on to you. We're going to grab you by the coattail. We're not going to let you go until you bless us as we've never seen a blessing at Syker before, ever. We want you that. We wanted that bad. We're going to hang on. Would you bless us that much? You know the name Henry Blackaby. When Dr. Kenlaw made the uh, video of the great revival that happened in Asbury in 1970, I'm so glad I was there. He asked Henry Blackaby uh, from Experiencing God, the great book Experiencing God, to write the foreword. Let me read to you just, just part of it. He said, "We're a generation that avoids pain at all cost. This is why so many are, that, This is why we have so many so few intercessors. Excuse me. Many Christians operate on the shallowest level of prayer, but God wants to take us into the deep levels of intercessory prayer that only a few ever experience. Deep, prolonged intercession is painful." It involves staying before God when everyone else has gone away or sleeps. It involves experiencing brokenness with the Father over those who are continually rebel against Him. How many of us will experience this kind of fervent intercession? So that's it. I'm asking you, I'm begging you, I'm challenging you to covenant with me, to pray. Harder than you've ever prayed before For God to show up in ways you've never experienced before I don't want to come all the way to Ohio and go home saying it was a nice time I want to go home saying, wow, wow, God showed up God showed up in ways that I never dreamed could happen So here's what I'm going to do There's no invitation. I probably had another 30 minutes to preach. I don't know how long y'all preach around here, but... It's only been an hour since we started. I'd like to ask you to stay and pray. And here's the way I'm going to ask you to do it. You can stay where you are. You can get up and walk around the grounds. You can pray over the pews. You can pray over the altar. You can pray over the pulpit. You can pray over your cottage. You can walk around. You can stay. You can lay down. I don't care what you do. You can get together with a friend. Say, let's pray together. You can stay for 15 minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I hope you'll stay at least 15. You can stay for an hour. You can stay all night. I'm just going to ask you to pray. Now, I brought some... uh, Prayer guides. If you need somebody, I heard somebody said the other day, five minutes is my limit. I run out of things to pray for. Well, this prayer guide will guide you into as much time as you want to spend. I put them all across the altar here. I put some on the back tables back there. I've got some more up here. If you want to come up and grab one, go back to your seat or go wherever you are. I'm not sure we have enough for everybody. I think we might, but um, I'm just going to ask you to pray. So again, will you covenant with me? I don't think it's by accident that God has me preaching first tonight. Uh, I had this on my mind. And I knew that if I was first, you were going to hear about prayer for the rest of the week. And so I pray, I pray, dear Jesus, dear Jesus, would you prick our hearts tonight? To be people of prayer. We can agree with John Wesley. Nothing's going to happen if we don't pray. But if we pray, the gates of heaven will be open and the Spirit will descend and our lives and our friends and our loved ones and people we pray for will be changed forever. Lord, I thank you for these sweet people been coming here for a long time, a lot of them. Some of them, this is their first time, but Lord, we want to see something we've never seen before. We want to see hearts changed. We want to see hard hearts softened. We want to see people who have no power have power. We want to see people called into the ministry, into missions. Lord, we want to see things happen and miracles take place in healing. We covenant with you tonight. We covenant with you tonight to pray more than we've prayed before and to try to go deeper than we've ever gone before. We want to travail. If Jesus had to travail, Father, we have to travail. Give us the courage. Give us the stamina, all that it takes to do what you've asked us to do. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The guides are here. The guides are in the back. I've got some more I'll put out here.